That's definitely my biggest dream is to go back. Many Syrians as well, they can't wait. So absolutely, it is essential for Syrians, you know, because as I said, the connection with the land is a big part of the Syrian culture. Hello and welcome to Girls With Goals. I'm Neve Mar, and I am delighted to welcome to the show this week journalist Razan Ibrahim. Razan, you're very welcome to the Thank show. Thank you very much. Delighted to meet you in person. I've been following your work for a good few years. So we're going to start the same way that we start every show. So it's with our game. It's called Six Words or Less. And it's for any of our listeners or readers of her.ie or viewers of the show now who may not know who you are. So you have to describe yourself in six words or less. So in your own time. Uh, it's, it's, it's very hard to do that, especially uh, if you want to describe who you are. Yeah. And it, I always prefer people to describe me, okay. not for me to describe myself. But, That's the uh, challenge. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. However, I would, I would say just facts mm -hmm. about myself. Mm -hmm. I am Syrian, Irish journalist, and um, I'm so involved in um, refugee crisis and the humanitarian uh, work. So I would say this is kind of summarized and sums up who I am. That's perfect. We, we could actually probably just wrap up now. Like We, wouldn't, we don't have to get into it. Um, like you said there, so you're Syrian, you're born in Syria and you came to Ireland in 2011 to study um, and you've stayed, obviously. So before we get into the work that you're doing, like you mentioned there, I would like to go back a little bit and hear about growing up in Syria and, and your childhood a little bit because obviously, you know, at the moment when you hear Syria, you think of the conflict and the war that's going on. So I would like to know what kind of a place it was for you growing up. Exactly, I was born in a um, Mediterranean town, um, just I'd say uh, one hour away from Turkey. Mm -hmm. So it's beautiful atmosphere, beautiful culture, and um, open culture as well. So I was born in this city and I was um, raised um, in very positive environment. Mm -hmm. My mom and dad are teachers, so we have this kind of um, the fight for education. So education was number one yeah. in our family. I was as well like really um, kind of a crazy child <laughs> okay. for like I'd say till, I, till my teenager. Yeah. Um, I was Tom Poy, okay. um, really, Football was my biggest and my, my most important really? game to play. Yeah, wow. cycling as well. Um, then I went to, um, of course, a school, educated in Syria. Um, and then after that, I did um, English lit literature mm -hmm. at the university. And part of the English literature was Irish literature. Okay. So I was really familiar before even I came to Ireland about the Irish culture the literature, uh, like for example, we did Samuel Peckett wow. and uh, uh, Bernard Shaw yeah. um, and uh, Seamus Heaney, for example, all of these. Um, I no in, idea in, that they like taught that in the Syrian education system. So Irish literature was a big part of your education. Absolutely, wow. because we did four years English literature, yeah. part of it English. Irish and American. Right. Okay. So all English speaking countries. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then I did my um, English lit literature in, in the University of Tishreen. Yeah. And it was as well really turning point, yeah. I'd say, in my life. Right. So this is where 
my eyes were more open mm -hmm. and I was introduced to other cultures, mm. other literature, other um, civilization. Um, so it was extremely important part of my, my, my character, I'd yeah. say, at that time. And so kind of while you were finishing up your education in Syria, did you always want to go and, and continue your education abroad or was that something that just kind of came about naturally? No, I mean, I've always wanted to. Yeah. And um, when I finished my, my undergrad, um, my dream was to do my master's mm. and, and try to continue my studies. So to achieve that, I had to work hard, yeah. of course. You know, I had to save money. Uh, to travel abroad, mm -hmm. to work abroad, and save um, money for my fees for the university. And of course, there were amazing people in my life who helped me yeah. as well, you know. So uh, that was a big part of it. Yeah. I've always wanted to travel and meet new people, mm -hmm. uh, see new culture, and um, get more knowledge from the education system. Um, because one of my dreams was to build and set up my own language school mm. back home in Syria. But unfortunately, yeah. it, it was not possible. And so you came here then to study in UL, uh, the University of Limerick, for, in 2011. And what were, what were your initial reactions of Ireland when you came here first? What did, what did you think of us? I mean, be brutally honest. I know I have to say, like, it's uh, incredibly nice people. And mm. I think you've, you've here you hear a lot of a lot of about these comments, you know. <laughs> so it's just incredible, mm. nice people. Believe me, from the first day I arrived to Ireland, from the taxi driver mm. to the shopkeeper to the people in the university to my classmates and my teachers, I've always had a great experience mm. and interaction uh, with the Irish people, yeah. and um, and I and there is something in common. I'd say between Syrians and Irish. Really? Um, in terms of welcoming and yeah. inclusiveness, this is big part in our culture and yeah. in Ireland, I think the same. Um, we we always ready to help people. Yeah. And I see it as well in Ireland. Yeah. So it's kind of, I didn't find myself very uh, isolated mm. or felt lonely at all, I, um, especially from the start. Um, because of, as I said, it's such a beautiful culture. Mm. Um, but of course, um, there are challenges as well, because I, I, my English, for mm. example, was at that time, I, I learned English at school. Yeah. I learned academic English, right. but not speaking or street English. Mm. So that was kind of big, a little bit um, difficult, yeah. especially to express myself ordinary, you know, like yeah. like very daily life. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, by practice, by talking to people, by by integrating and yeah. and and uh, meeting new people, it always helps. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, my, from my personal experience, it's really, really positive. Yeah. And and really beautiful, yeah. I have to say. Um, so, you know, obviously, around the time that you left Syria, the conflict there, when it started in, in 2010, it was initially, you know, peaceful protests that were met with, you know, violence that happened. So you were here in 2011 and your family were still in Syria, although I think you had a sister in the UK. But at that time, were you fully convinced that you were going to go back to Syria? 
I don't think any Syrian would expected that the situation would have asked will, yeah, will last mm. long and evolve to what we are yeah. right now. Um, at the start, um, and especially the first year of my life in Ireland, uh, my decision was to finish my studies and go back home. Mm. That was, I haven't even thought one second that I will stay in Ireland or go another place. Yeah. So my idea was to finish here, go back home, set up my language school and, and live with my family, yeah. live with my friends. But it, I, it didn't happen, yeah, situation like escalated mm. unexpectedly. Yeah. And um, it was extremely tough for me, for my family, yeah. and I think as well for every Syrian, because Syria is such a beautiful, positive, uh, inclusive society, mm. multicultural um, from different religion, different backgrounds, different ethnicities. Yeah. Um, like we live in, we've lived always in harmony yeah. in our life. Um, like ancient civilization, all of that, you know, yeah. amazing food. Yeah. The food is just incredible. So this was very unexpected. Absolutely. To the Syrian people. And what were the conversations back then in, in 2011, 2012, while you were here studying between you and your family? Were you encouraging them to maybe leave or what kind of like, were you having fear about the safety for your family at that time? Um, at that time, um, we we kept communication mm. a lot, like almost every day, but we haven't at all spoken about them being um, traveling or leaving. Right. Because especially my mom and dad, they are so rooted mm. in, in in Syria, and for them, the idea is doesn't exist. Right. That they they live. It's it's so hard yeah. for Syrian. To leave their homeland. Yeah. When, I mean, it's something you think everybody it, should know. It is extremely yeah. hard. And presumably they're, you know, probably older as well. And, you know, the exactly. language barrier as well. I'd say that must have been a, a huge kind of, well, not a huge thing, but, you know, how can no, you, at, is, at that age yeah, and yeah. at that stage in your life to expect to leave um, probably wouldn't have been something that came into their Absolutely. thought process. Absolutely, in their 60s, and they yeah. have to learn English from, from zero, from scratch. Yeah. And and they live, They have to live in a society. For example, us young people, yeah. it's, it's easier for us to integrate and meet new people and go out. Yeah. My mom and dad in their 60s, or even Syrians, like older Syrians, it's extremely hard yeah. for them to integrate. They can't, they are still... Syria is still inside them. Yeah. It's not easy to, to just forget it like that, you know? Yeah. So we were keeping communication, but I wouldn't say that the idea of leaving mm. was mentioned at that time. And then obviously, you know, the situation over the last few years has escalated beyond comprehension, I would imagine. To the world, it's beyond comprehension. And I can only, I can't imagine what it would be like for a Syrian being out of that and, and looking at the things that are happening. Um, it, it's, is it fair to say that because the conflict is so complex and ever-changing, that there's a lack of understanding from people around the world about what exactly is going on in Syria now? Uh, it is extremely complex yeah. and highly politicalized. Mm. Many factors are interfering. So actually, it's not Syrian 
issue anymore. Yeah. We don't have any voice of what is happening right now. But what is hard for us, especially millions of Syrians, like now outside Syria, mm. is just watching what's happening and feeling helpless. You can do anything to stop this or to help or to to um, make peace mm. or make make people talk together. It's literally like watching your child dying yeah. and you can't help, you can't do anything. So um, it's it's just really, it's, it's affecting every Syrian psyche, every Syrian personality. Yeah. I'd say from inside, like a lot of us are shattered. Yeah. But it is important to know that Syrians have unbelievable resilience. Mm. Like from from the the most like extreme violent and sad situations, they will they will uh, rise again and continue. Yeah. So um, that's that's what makes me hopeful, to be yeah. honest. And you have to maintain hope, obviously, Absolutely. especially when, when something like this is going on. Um, you mentioned there about you know the millions of, of Syrians who aren't in Syria anymore and who are, who are kind of watching this happen in their homeland from, from various places around the world. A few years ago, you went and you, you spoke to the UN um, about the refugee crisis because, you know, when we think of war, a lot of the times we're looking at, you know, the atrocities that are happening in, in the place and the refugee crisis that this has has spawned essentially is is mammoth. Um, can you tell us about that and the work that you've done with refugees? Because I know you went to Greece as well a few years back to actually work directly with them. It's almost like going, like trying to get as close as you can without actually being able to get back into Syria to help. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So in the United Nations 2015, uh, there was a high um, meeting in Geneva to highlight the Syrian refugee crisis yeah. and I was invited to be part of it and it was extremely important for me because um, the stories of, of these people mm. I met and um, I, I, I witnessed as well something I witnessed when I was in Greece. So I went to Greece in 2015 and 2016. And the reason why I went was, as, as I said before, watching what is happening yeah. on TV screens, on social media, and you feel you are nothing. Yeah. Um, this is when, um, just out of the blue, I was uh, watching one of the photos published mm -hmm. on, on social media and it was, uh, written coast Greece mm. so straight away this is where I should be I should not be here sitting on my chair yeah. and and watching this from distance I should be there with these people yeah. and help them and uh, I straight away took the decision in in few days I was in coast and I spent around 10 days mm. um, helping people uh, meeting people when they arrive at the shores, yeah. uh, providing water, clothes, shoes, food, anything they want, mm. and, and trying to settle them in, in the island before they continue their journey. And um, I met amazing people, mm. and just a few days ago, I received beautiful message from somebody 
I don't know the name. Yeah. But they messaged me on Facebook, and that's like maybe in 2015, and now we are in um, 2019. 19, yeah. They said, hi, Razan, I'm sure you don't remember me, but yeah. we met in Greece, and you helped me in finding shoes because I lost my shoes in the sea. I just want to tell you that I'm happy. I am in Sweden. I am learning Swedish and I am working right now. Wow. So this message yeah. absolutely made my day and, and sums up everything, you know, you see. Yeah. So because of that, because my work with the refugees and my, my bear witness, mm -hmm of what was happening on the islands and their stories and the atrocities. Mm. I went to Geneva and I spoke about these people mm. and the amazing people I met, children, women, men, um, still strong and positive and heading on to settle down and, and, and start a new life. And what was the reaction that you got? from your speech then as in obviously you know we hear about the UN and the, and the work that they're doing um, do you think that they're doing enough? Um, I think um, they are trying to do the best yeah. absolutely there's no question they are trying to do the best however I believe now um, the funding from the countries mm. especially European Americans and the rich countries for example mm the funding to the refugee crisis decreased. Right. And that dramatically affect the situation yeah. of the refugees. For example, in, in Jordan, the biggest refugee camp, I think, in the world for Syrians. Yeah. And um, like there are plenty of activities, plenty of, of um, um, things trying to make the life easier mm -hmm. for these people, but it's still not enough and there's so much to be done. But I believe it's not only providing water and bread and, and all of that. Mm. Education is important. Yeah. Getting children to school is extremely important. Yeah. But what is more important is to achieve peace in Syria. Yeah. That's the focus of the United Nations should be, to achieve peace. So refugees would go back home. Yeah. That's the most important. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of hearing the stories like that you've, you've spoken to refugees and, and you're able to relay their stories because you're a journalist as well. So the work that you do is about reporting on them. But like that, you know, I think that sometimes um, people forget that the, these people have come from an unimaginable situation and an environment that thankfully most people will, will never experience. But then, you know, they're probably thinking about the same things that we're thinking about when they wake up in the morning. So they want to get a job, they want to cook their own food, Absolutely. they want to go grocery shopping. And I think almost bringing back that humanity to them must be very important. Was that something that you sensed from them that like almost getting back to a sense of normality exactly. is really crucial? They want to be ordinary. Yeah. You know, they want to live ordinary life. Mm. They want to um, be able to sit with their children and watch TV, for example. They want to be able to cook something nice for yeah. their kids. Uh, they want to be able to um, work something they like or something they enjoy, just really ordinary, nothing more. Yeah. And that's the simple human right. Yeah. It's to do 
what you like, what you want, and what's benefit as well for your family and for your children. Mm. So this is a minimum, yeah. I'd say, uh, what they need. Um, but um, yeah, the situation is still not improving, I'd say, especially in refugee camps yeah. in Lebanon. It's one of the worst in like worst you can ever imagine mm. the situation in Lebanon and Jordan, Turkey, and more importantly, the refugee camps in Greek islands. Yeah. Like we don't hear a lot about them, but it is one of the worst. And are we talking about the the conditions of these camps exactly. for the people? So there isn't enough funding to like that, you know, give them a little bit of humanity back. Is that what we're talking We're talking about basic rights. Exactly. Basic rights, like they still live in tents oh. till now. Uh, they don't have, they can't cook. They don't have access to money to get food, for example. Mm. The funding is there maybe in, in Greece in particular because it is directly funded by the European mm. Union, but we don't see it yeah. in the refugee camps. It should be reflected on the situation of the people inside the refugee camps. And many of them, they are trapped right. in the camps. They've been living there for maybe five, four, four three years, you know. Intense. And intense limbo. They don't know where to go. They don't have any notion. Mm. Where are they going to leave this? Are they going to stay forever? Yeah. Or continue? So it's extremely difficult situation for them. It sounds like it's a, it's a global refugee Absolutely. crisis so obviously like we're talking about you and your experiences with with Syria but like you said you know there there isn't a huge amount of coverage maybe on on refugee camps like that in Greece why why do you think that is is it um are the people who are running them or is there are they trying to to veil it a little bit or or why do you think we're not seeing and I know we're seeing some of it, but why do you think we're not seeing all of it? Yeah, I mean, it's part of it like that. Yeah. They are trying to hide yeah. the truth because, to be honest, it's a scandal. Yeah. If you want to see what is going on truly... That people are living like it's this. It's absolute scandal. Mm. Uh, so they want to hide it. And um, I'd say I would blame the media as yeah. well. So the attention on refugee crisis decreased a lot. Mm. There is no attention like before. Mm. And the situation is worse like before. Yeah. So this is as well, the media is to blame. Uh, there is very little coverage yeah. and raising awareness on that. So I'd say both are, are together. And the European Union, yeah. they don't want as well this to be shown, I'd say, a yeah. lot in the media and, yeah. and be, be addressed. So all of these factors together, but mm. who pays the price? It's the people in the tents, it's yeah. The children, yeah. they have no school. Mm. The mothers, the fathers, these people who pay the price, yeah. you know, the ordinary people. As well as the, the work that you've done, you've been very vocal in campaigning about ending direct provision here in Ireland. Um, and I suppose I kind of just want to uh, get your stance on that a little bit. And for anybody who, who doesn't necessarily know, because direct pr provision is in, um, is, is in the news, frequently here exactly. in Ireland. So it was started in, in 2000 as kind of an emergency response, but um, it's been hugely criticised. Um, everything from people saying that it's, uh, you know, there are human rights issues that are that are going on within these centres. Um, people who are then given refugee status aren't able to move on from it exactly. because of the, the bigger housing crisis that's happening in Ireland itself. Um, 
What are your views on it? Like I, I know personally people mm. living in direct provision. They have refugee status, yeah. as you mentioned, and they've been living almost three years now. Yeah. In and they they are a family. They are really educated, amazing family. But the mother recently was telling me, I mean, where where I'm gonna go? Yeah, you know, like it's been three years and they are stuck. In, in the in the system, yeah. so it is um, it is actually dehumanizing people, yeah. and um, it should be like people say demolished uh, direct yeah. provision. Like there are many aspects of it. First, the process should be faster. Mm -hmm. It's impossible after five or six or seven years, people living in direct provision as asylum seekers, and yeah. then after seven years, you tell them. Thank you so much. Your application is refused. Go back home. Yeah. Their children, they don't speak their native language anymore. They speak Irish. Yeah. They speak English. Yeah. And they, they are educated in the system. So they feel Irish. Mm. You know, after all of this, you can't just yeah. like make them leave. That's extremely inhumane. Yeah. You know, so I think these cases should be exceptional. Yeah. And they should stay and, and, and try to help them to continue their life here. Yeah. The process should be faster. That's essential in direct provision. Mm. And the situation, the, or like the daily life situation, as, as you mentioned, mm. access to food. Yeah. They'd be able to cook their own food. Because mm. some of them are kind of more like, like a canteen kind of situation where like necessarily they don't have the ability to go Absolutely. into a kitchen and kind of cook for themselves. And it's these kind of just day-to-day -day what a lot of people might take for granted. And that's when it comes to, like, that's when I think human rights come in. It's like, well, well what is it that we consider, you know, things that allow us to be independent and Definitely. give ourselves yeah. self-respect as well? And you can bear this if it was, for example, for a few months. Yeah. You would say, yeah, it's not... Not a problem, mm. but when you live years and years yeah. on the same situation, yeah. that is the the difficult part of it. Uh, but what I believe it's extremely important: the permission to work. Yeah, that should be granted. Mm. Like a lot of people I know in direct provision and outside direct provision, they are amazing activists. Mm -hmm. They, it's they like the main main part of it is work, yeah. work, work. And why? Why is it that they that they can't work? Is it because of that? Is it because of all the things that they're trying to process? Like you said, you know, things need to be faster when it comes to getting their status approved. Is that why they're not able to work? Because if if I try and put myself in the situation, and for me, you know, if I'm in, just for example, I was somewhere and I was seeking asylum, you know. Obviously, if you're in a direct provision place, you know, the taxpayer of the country is paying for your food and your accommodation, yep. all that kind of stuff. Like, I know that I would want to get back out there in the workforce and pay taxes exactly. and give back to the country that was essentially, like, keeping me from, from a very volatile situation. So I, I don't understand in my, in my brain why they wouldn't be given a status or given the ability to be able to work. So why is that? So this is a government decision. Yeah. And part of it, I think they don't want to... Um, make Ireland as a country that would, uh, you will be, for example, asylum seeker and work. Okay. So they want to distance themselves from that. Right. So they want it only asylum seeker. You, you can't do anything else. And this is makes kind of uh, people not thinking of Ireland for 
for maybe to get an asylum or yeah. to get refuge. This is part of it. But as well, there, there are complex mm. um, documents yeah. because you need to get, for example, your uh, Gen IB, mm. your work uh, number, yeah. national number, uh, a lot of these things. And you can't yeah. do them without uh, permission from the government to work. Yeah. So it's kind of... Uh, hard. However, I truly believe if the Irish government really say, listen, we're going to do it. Yeah. Let's be brave, mm. have a brave decision and let these people work. Mm. It will happen. Yeah. It's just we lack leadership yeah. in this issue. I read as well recently there a report about, I think it's not far from here, Hatch Hall, I think, in, in Dublin city centre, where there's 800 um, people who are there in direct provision that have, you know, achieved their refugee status and they are essentially, you know, able to yeah. leave. Um, but there's, there's nowhere to go. So they're going to go into uh, emergency accommodation, into hotels, into B&Bs with their family. Um, their kids will still be, you know, going to school and in the Irish education system and, and things like that. But... Um, that must be a really terrifying thing to be to be thinking of if you're in direct provision and if you know that you're about to leave and you don't have anywhere to exactly. go. And uh, some people, they they can afford accommodation, for example. They can afford a rent yeah. um, in, if it was HAP or mm. house allowance, but they are facing a problem mm. that landlords are not giving them for example, yeah. um, a house to rent. And is that because of the HAP stigma? Because I've, yeah. I've done some pa work with homeless people yeah. um, in general, like aside from the, the refugee aspect of it. And, you know, I, I spoke to one man who he like took out all of his documents and he showed me everything. And he yeah. was like, I am so prepared, Neve. I have the money, I can rent. But it's this HAP exactly. that just the landlords just go, no. So that is something that I think really needs to be spoken about. Absolutely. It should be addressed and uh, there should be support from the government yeah. on these issues. You know, There should be more better management mm. because it's not only for refugees, even for Irish people, yeah. you know, like they need to have uh, easy access to the hub yeah. and and landlords, they should um, just um, be accepting. Absolutely. Yeah. Like flexible and accepting. Why not? Mm. You know, like it's uh, but at the same time, sometimes the government makes it complex for the landlords yeah. to uh, have hub or yeah. house allowance. Yeah. So it is just mutual yeah. between the government, the landlords, the management between between them. Yeah. And things will happen Absolutely. and will be better. But we don't have it. Yeah. That's the problem. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you know, about Ireland being so welcoming and being so warm and, and stuff like that, you know, much appreciated. Um, but at the same time, when you when you look at the global refugee crisis, is there a stigma attached to to refugees? Do you find from from people who are who don't maybe understand everything about what these people have gone through? Maybe, you know, we talked about the humanity of mm -hmm. them, like little things like going to the grocery store and doing this, but like as well, the trauma that they've experienced. Absolutely. Like I can't imagine the PTSD that I'm sure like a huge amount of them are suffering. With that comes mental health issues as well. You know, is there a better way for people who will never have to deal with these kind of things in their lives to understand what's going on? Um, it is always back to personal stories yeah. yes and to the people viewing these people as a human beings yeah. not as numbers not saying like this there are million here or mm. three million here but every one of these million yeah. has 
unbelievable struggle and sad and, and, and positive story yeah. behind as well, you know. It is so important to have this idea of why they are fleeing, mm. uh, what they have been through, mm. and how they are now starting a new life and, and continuing, continuing um, the new life. So, um, and I, as I always mention, when I talk to people about refugees, I don't even mention myself yeah. because I met a lot of people who have struggled and have experienced something unbelievable. Like one of the people, like uh, women and her daughter yeah. I met in Greece, they lost the, the three male members of their family, the father and two sons. So they are just literally a mother mm. and seven-year-old daughter together. And they worked in Turkey in mm -hmm. cotton factory for yeah. a while. And then they decided there's no education, mm. so they decided to go to Greece and try to get education. Yeah. And I met the girl, unbelievable, beautiful. Mm. And, and, and the smile is always on her face. And I told her, what's your dream? Yeah. She said to me, oh, my dream is to have a pink bike and cycle to school every day. Wow. You know, so this like, is the yeah. simple, Very you know, simple. yeah, absolutely. Like, like she broke my heart, yeah. but I, I don't know any, I don't have any connection with her right now. And yeah. I don't know what happened, mm. but I always like dream of her, like on her um, pink bike yeah. and cycling to school every day. Even when you think about what she's lost and, absolutely. and her dream yeah. is a pink bike. Yeah, it's really heartbreaking. Um, I want to ask, you know, the situation with with your family now so uh, obviously you left in 2011 it's 2019 your your parents are still in Syria they how are, are they how are they however my parents as I said to you they are so rooted yeah they came to Ireland yes because it was so long yeah. and I said please come because I can't bear the distance anymore yeah. and they came to Ireland for a visit and they stayed for one month Really? They had the chance to stay forever. Yeah. They had the chance to get work permit. They had the chance for everything they want. Yeah. But they said to me, um, after one month, they have decided to go back. Wow. Because they didn't, even when they came to Ireland, they, did, they didn't think of staying. Right. They just wanted to come to see me and then go back. Was that hard for you because of, of what's going on in, in Syria? It was one of the hardest moments, yeah. saying goodbye to them mm. at the airport. Yeah. Because that was 2015 and now I am 2019. So it's been four, four years distance now. Yeah. And it was four years distance. So um, extremely hard. Yeah. And especially to know they are growing Older. old mm. without me yeah or without my brother or my sister so mm. they are on their own and my mm. mom when i talk to her on the phone she says i feel i'm orphan yeah this is what she feels you know like but still all of that still they think they live they want to live in syria yeah they come for a visit for maybe 10 days one month mm. but their base is in syria yeah well, it's that resilience that you Absolutely. spoke about earlier as well, you know, um, that I wouldn't say that the easier thing would be to, to stay in Ireland because I can't imagine how difficult that would be. Um, but I think it's a true sign of, of people having hope and thinking that exactly. what's happening at the moment, you know, 
has to change. It absolutely has to. And that's kind of what I want to ask you next. So your brother is here now as well, yeah. right? Okay. So that and must, my sister. And your sister's yeah. here too. So that must be good as well. Absolutely. So you have, and your little niece. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Razan, I have to bring off the video that you posted of your little niece um, singing Osquelga. Yeah. Uh, the classic song that we all learn when we're kids. Love, love, Ella, Ahena, <laughs> Yeah. So tell me about her. What's what's her name? Uh, yeah. Her name's Serene. Serene. She's incredible, bright. Uh, child. Yeah. Uh, she she was in school, like she, uh, this year was her first year at school. Okay. And um, at that time, I'd say in September, October, my sister moved to a new place. Yeah. And uh, we were actually in the car going for the first time to her new place. So we, we brought everything with us and she was moving mm. out. And uh, she uh, we were talking and then she said in the car, she said, oh, you know, I, I know Irish. I can sing Irish. I was like, no, Sirene, you can't. She said, no, I can. I was like, okay. And then she did a little bit. I was like, my, my friend, I was like, is she singing Irish? And he said, yeah. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to take a video of yeah. that. And she did it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And she, not only this song, she learns like many Irish songs yeah. and Spanish. Amazing. Irish, English, and she speaks fluent Arabic as well. Fluent yeah. English, fluent Arabic. The English is with Dublin accent. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so cute. I love how she pulls her hat down at the yeah. end and she's so happy with herself. We do, you posted on Twitter and it has over 450,000 views now. Like Unexpected. The like, definition of a, of a viral video, but mm -hmm. Um, with your permission, can we play it? Absolutely. Great, okay, so absolutely. take a look at this. It's it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, thank you. Love, 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 I hate you. Cause, cause, love, I hate you. So, so, I hate you. Close, close, love, I hate you. Amazing. I, I absolutely, I love her. I love her face. She looks so proud as well. Um, so does she, how is she getting on with with her school? Does she enjoy it? Uh, does she yeah. talk about Syria? Would she remember or? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. She, uh, it's, it's, after all, Syria is, the culture, mm. the society. So she needs to know about that. Yeah. So she speaks the, the uh, language, mm -hmm. you know, the Arabic. And she knows about Syria. She knows about my my mom and dad. Yeah. And uh, about our memories in Syria. So yeah. that's important. And uh, at school, she's like really excellent. Um, she enjoys it so much. And she goes for uh, music school after that mm. and acting school. She loves this kind of oh, nice. world of art. And, She's gonna and be a star. <laughs> um, so Razan, before I let you go, I just wanna, you know, we spoke earlier about the complex nature of, of what is going on in, in Syria. It's been going on for years now. And um, I suppose the thing to ask is, what are your hopes for Syria in the future? Obviously, you know, every refugee I think it's a fair statement to say that every refugee wants to go home. Nobody wants to be displaced. Nobody wants to be uh, living in a, in, a, in a tent. It's unimaginable what people are doing. And then the, the refugees who come and, and are able to, you know, integrate into societies, it's amazing stories and it, it is filled with hope. But 
would you and your family return to Syria tomorrow if you could? Absolutely. My, when, when I know that there is peace, there is a new system, mm. there is um, a new agreement mm. between Syrians, going back is essential mm. and it's a duty yeah. for me. And I know when I go back, I know where to help. Yeah. And I know how to help as well. And I know the right people to support me to help. Yeah. And that's definitely my, my, my biggest dream is to go back. Many Syrians as well, they can't wait yeah. um, to go back and, and uh, go back to their towns and villages, rebuild their houses. And, and, and go to their farms and, and shops. So absolutely, it is um, um, essential for Syrians, you know, because as I said, the connection with the land is big part of the Syrian culture. Yeah. So definitely, this is big part uh, of it. And um, I want to be with my mom and dad yeah. as well. You know, I, I miss them and I feel sometimes guilty yeah. to leave them that time and that distance. Yeah. And what can, what can people do to help? Like, I, I feel sometimes, you know, as a, as a part of the media and as a journalist, you know, we, we try our best to shine a, a spotlight on, on issues that are happening and we try and talk about them as much as we can. But, you know, can people help? Or is it about more understanding, listening to people, finding out more about them so that, you know, were less flippant or what is it that you would suggest to people who don't necessarily understand what's going on and can never comprehend some of the horrors that people have experienced? Is there ways that people can help? Like first, it is important to have a human communication, yeah. face to face. Mm. Like it's not only uh, seeing what is happening in Syria on social media or TV screens. It is important to talk to Syrians, yeah. to to meet them, to speak to them, and not only Syrians to any refugee. Yeah. You know, it's important to have this human connection because it it will break all the ice. Yeah. You know, between and it will make more mutual understanding understanding from us and from them you know it's mutual yeah uh, so that's number one it is extremely important there are a few projects that um, people can help uh, Red Cross um, they have good projects mm -hmm. and uh, um, like uh, United Nations in Ireland uh, but there is I think I believe and something I'm involved in with um, it's a new pilot uh, in Ireland which mm -hmm. is called community sponsorship okay and this it is the model was in Canada and it was applied in some European countries Ireland now is taking the lead okay. and um, and trying to um, kind of implement this program and this program is about simply 10 to 15 people Irish people get together yeah. and organize themselves and um, raise awareness and funding and then the Irish government uh, will be helping them to find a Syrian family in Lebanon. Okay. And they can sponsor them to come to Ireland, be their second family in Ireland. Wow. This program is incredibly uh, important. Yeah. And it has a huge potential. And there are some examples of people who already came. Yeah. To Ireland, the first one, um, a family with a child, Lorca, mm -hmm. her name. Uh, they came from Lebanon and they live in um, County Meath now. Right. Incredible experience by the community who sponsored them. Yeah. And more in Lismore, 
and now in Cork. Yeah. So there are amazing examples yeah. of this project happening. So I would really say if, if you would like to help mm. and, and if you want to make a change, mm. uh, save lives mm -hmm. and, and as well make something good in your life. This program is very important. Yeah, and is that, sorry, is that a government run uh, community scheme or is it's it? A, it's um, kind of mutual okay. between NGOs and organizations in Ireland and the government. Right, okay. So it's, it's between them uh, together. Okay. So it's uh, among the NGOs and the government. Okay, and presumably people would be able to find out about that just by having a Google and... and yeah, I mean, it definitely, and there will be a new website because yeah. it's still at the early stages. Yeah. So there will be websites and instructions, guidelines of yeah. how to start your uh, community sponsorship, how to start your group, yeah. what you need. And uh, then, yeah, um, they can access that and it will help a lot, I'd say. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. And then in terms of kind of the, the broader scheme, um, we mentioned there the government, like what do you think Ireland needs to do, like a little bit broader than what we can do personally to kind of help? What do you think Ireland needs to do to help with the refugee crisis that's happening on a, on a global platform, not just in Syria? So, for example, a few years ago, I think 2015, the Irish government, or 16, I'm not sure, but they said that they are going to bring 4,000 yeah. refugees. But at least <laughs> yeah. get this number. You know, this is number one. You right. know, if you are one, want to do it, get this number. And uh, uh, I mean, in fairness as well, the, the Irish government is doing, and mm. there are a lot of really positive things happening. Yeah. But it's not enough. Yeah. I have always to say it, it and it will never be enough. Yeah. So uh, family, <coughs> family reunification, for example, yeah. families living in Ireland, Syrian families or refugee families who their uh, other family is still living in Syria. Yeah. The, the family reunification should be faster, should yes. be easier yeah. to get families together. It is essential. Yeah. And uh, uh, there should be more flexible programs of yeah. refugees coming to Ireland. That is really, really important. And the community sponsorship now, it's very positive step. Yeah, so absolutely. hopefully it will get more and more, you know, it will be successful. And I think it is gonna, going to be a great um, example. Yeah. Well, obviously, Razan, you are working very hard. Um, you've you've won awards. You won our, our International Woman of the Year there a few years back. Um, so what are you working on at the moment? So you work with Storyful. Um, is there any kind of projects coming up that, that we should be keeping our, our eyes out for? I mean, if you want to, you can follow Razan on Twitter at Ibra Razan, and you can see that video as well of your niece, which is which is amazing. But I mean, working as a journalist in Ireland, is that something that you've really taken to? Because obviously when you came here, it was to study uh, English language and you wanted yeah, it. Sorry, education, yeah, exactly. So, so that's kind of, it's changed in it focus changed, slightly, but... But I'd say, I'll tell you why, <laughs> because um, because of the Syrian war, yeah. it, not only me, it makes every Syrian a journalist yeah. or a reporter mm. or analysis, you know, it makes it like it, it became part of our um, our personalities, you yeah. know, that you need to seek the truth. Yeah. You want to look for information and tell those stories. Exactly. Yeah. And tell these stories. So it, it became part of our um, yeah. our daily life. And then, yeah, Storyful came and uh, I've been since 2015 yeah. working with them. And it's I mean, Absolutely amazing experience. Yeah. E extremely 
educational, yeah. informative, mm. and um, challenging every day is a new challenge and yeah. a new story and a new new things you ha mm. you want to investigate and look at. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, now my main work would be as well looking at social media interactions, mm. analyzing uh, social media data, for example. Yeah. Um, so this is mainly now, and of course, doing podcasts, um, uh, videos, yeah. all of this, you know, this is kind of in general, but from day to day as well work is reporting yeah. on, on a lot of um um, the Middle East, or North Africa, yeah. and international news. Now, uh, the other thing um, I worked uh, at, like in the last year, mm -hmm. and still happening, which is um, um, an exhibition mm -hmm. by one of the really greatest artists I personally love, Anita yeah. Gornier, and we did together collaborative work. I saw that in uh, a past. Uh, the past. Uh, is a foreign country. Yeah. So uh, it's still in the lab. Mm -hmm. um, um, the lab in Dublin 1, yeah. I think. And um, there is section of my work and her work together, collaborative yeah. work. Um, and it's, I think it is very powerful. And people, if they want to know what is really happening in Syria and why... Yeah there are Syrian refugees, they should go and see that. And so this is just to give people a kind of a, a little like snippet of, of what it is. This is you translating um, their stories, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. so it's actually called a moment mm. because, um, because the videos coming out from Syria mm -hmm. are just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and our Syrian way, when, when we lose somebody dear and somebody we love, mm. Our way of, of expressing is different yeah. from other civilizations and cultures. Yeah. So I picked like few seconds of what, the most powerful videos yeah. and I translated yeah. uh, these seconds and they came out really, really strong. Yeah. And, and important, I'd say, as I said, just have a look, have a listen yeah. and see what these children are going through because it's mainly children. Yeah, um, it's about getting, getting back to that Absolutely. humanity that we were speaking about earlier, you know, and like, I don't think, I think it's fair to say that not everybody may understand the ins and outs of the political landscape that's happening because Absolutely. it's so complex. Forget about the politics, yeah. see the human. Yes, exactly. Razan, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, you in. So Thank you so much. Um, that is all the time that we have for this week. Please do go and follow Razan on Twitter. You can see all of her work there. And we'll chat to you next week.